Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. Welcome to the broadcast, everybody. It is Monday, and it is beautiful Monday, August 31st. Man, what has happened to this summer? It is gone, gone, gone. And uh, so much going on in the industry. It's good to have you joining us, and we appreciate you making this a part of the way in which you communicate and get, or we communicate, or you find out what's going on, in, what's going on in the industry. I am in San Diego, California. I'm at the Hyatt Manchester, looking out over at all the yachts here in the harbor of San Diego Bay. It's a beautiful day here, and I'm at the DNH uh, User Connections Conference. Going to be uh, speaking at this on Wednesday, attending the whole event. Real excited to have a great affiliation with our friends there at DNH. And so a lot of things going on in the markets, and we have as a special guest today, back by popular demand. In fact, she's now got a new title. We'll tell you about it in a second. Her name is Eileen O'Grady. She is an expert, someone that has <laughs> she's she goes back to me in my earliest days. Been in the industry forty three years. I think she's been there at least forty years of it, uh, possibly all forty three. She was the my underwriter that I worked with when I started as a loan originator. And all I hope is her memory cells have dropped all the bad memories and uh, and there's no pictures or at least the pictures have been lost because oh those early early days called career adolescence. You remember them, everybody? I don't know. I sure have some some memories of them. But we're so excited to have Eileen O'Grady back on the uh, broadcast. She was here earlier in the year talking about the Structured Finance Conference, the ABS conference in Las Vegas and how well it was attended. In fact, over really surprisingly well attended. And so that generated some interest. Is things happening? Are we beginning to see something, the non-agency loans returning? Are we seeing some progress there? Well, she's going to be giving us a response. And then here's the deal. Her title now is she is the Capital Market Structured Finance Industry News Correspondent for the broadcast. We're excited to be connected with Eileen. Back to the earliest days of my career as well as just how well she has done staying on top of all the latest initiatives in the industry. So we're really honored to have her as the capital market structured finance industry news correspondent with us. We're going to have her on in the hot topic section. And folks, you're not going to want to miss this because there's some new things going on in the industry that are uh, pretty exciting. New securitizations, we're going to be talking about that. So stay tuned all the way through to the hot topic segment. Also, I just want to say this broadcast is created by mortgage professionals for mortgage professionals, and we're the proud recipient of the Progress in the Lending Innovation Award. I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors. I want to say thank you to United Guarantee just happens to be, I would like to think it's because they're a sponsor of our radio program, to be the number one in MI industry leader for the fourth consecutive year. Say, there's something they're doing that I want to bring attention to everybody. As a part of the National Mortgage Professional Month, Professionals Month, did you know that this is, August is, or September is, the National Mortgage Professionals Month? Are you aware of that? Well, what United Guarantee is doing is they're going to be awarding up to 240 prizes to loan officers, processors, underwriters, and credit union mortgage originators. Some really exciting awards that are going on there. And, for example, that right now, Friday, if you can get your uh, – well, let me tell you about it. At, at Friday, they're asking by Friday is the deadline for mortgage processors to share their story to qualify for a drawing for prizes. Now, share a story. What are things that you love about the industry? What are you doing for the industry? I think some of the best stories that might would work – this is my thought, not theirs – is something – tell some story about how you help someone get into a home because that's really what the National Mortgage Professional Month is about. It honors the efforts of thousands of mortgage professionals professionals nationwide who have dedicated their lives working to help families and individuals achieve the dream of home ownership. Check out what United Guarantee is doing. I think it's really neat. 240 prizes are going to be announced as they uh, provide out awards, and it's in conjunction with the National Mortgage Professional Month. I didn't know there was such a thing. 
Now there's a registry I found out that you can register and have it uh, any kind of national thing, any national day you want, you can register it. And you should take a look at the directory. I'll get the link if you're interested and share it with you guys. It is hilarious to see what there is a national day of out there. But this is a noteworthy, this is a worthy one, National Mortgage Professionals Day. We're helping finance American dreams across America. Thank you, United Guarantee, for doing what you're doing, giving away 240 prizes, honoring mortgage professionals across the United States. Check it out at www.ugcorp.com forward slash N is a national, M is in mortgage, P is a professional, and M is a mortgage. So it's good to be with you, everybody. We also say thank you to Velma. They here do the miraculous job of getting word out to thousands of you that we have the broadcast coming up each and every day, working more closely with them at all times. Thrilled to have them be a part of it. Check them out at Velma.com. V-E-L-M-A stands for Virtual Electronic Marketing Assistant. They got this set it and forget it auto campaign, or they'll walk with you and hold your hand and do all the things they need you to have really effective campaigns. Good stuff. Let's see here. We already talked that I'm already out here at the DNH conference. We got the Motivity Conference coming up in beautiful Denver. I mean, I get to go from Garden Spot here in San Diego to beautiful Denver. And uh, then I'm out at the Northeast Mortgage Banking Conference out in Newport, Rhode Island. Really excited about all these events and the things I'm talking about uh, and sharing with those in attendance, uh, talking about how to communicate with the with your how to expand the, the theme of all these a lot of these talks that I'm giving is how to reach a broader audience in a contracting market. And that's assuming we're going to have a contracting market. So Joe Farr is going to tell us if we're going to have a contracting market. He's going to tell us whether or not rates are going to rise because he is connected. Okay, so he's got a great <laughs> website. You, and he knows what's going on. Joe Farr, good yeah, to have you with us. Yeah, they're going to rise. They are definitely going to rise. I, 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 well, the, yeah, what goes down must come up. I mean, it, 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 it's, a, it's the inverse of what happens. What goes up must come down. Well, in the, in the world of finance, what goes down, especially if it's quantitative, easily stimulated, it must come up. But right, I've got some interesting right. thoughts on it, but let's talk about what's going on today right now, Joe. I'm on your website looking at it again. Can't, yeah, it's been, a, just, it's been a, a, I guess, a relatively quiet morning compared to some we had last week, but... Uh, we're we're flat on the day, Dave, and and that's about five or six thirty seconds below uh, the morning highs. And and uh, MBS prices uh, were up earlier this morning as stocks were down, but stocks have made their way back and they've gained back some of their losses over the weekend. Uh, Vice Chair Fisher made comments. Yes, um, out of about, uh, he was out uh, in Jackson Hole, you know, Wyoming. Uh, yes, saying yeah, saying that the September still. Uh, it, there's a chance they're going to consider a rate hike in September. It, 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 he certainly was not saying that September was off the table. Uh, he said he believes inflation will reach the 2% goal and that uh, much of the reason it's not there now is due to temporary uh, events like, like the strengthening dollar. So uh, those were not friendly for the stocks. And like we saw in the week before, as the stock market sold off, people uh, demand rose for uh, bonds, including mortgage-backed securities, and, and the price has improved. But, uh, you know, we've given back those gains as much of that early movement has been reversed. Yes, uh, I see that. This morning we had uh, we we had Chicago PMI come out pretty much as expected and, and right. it didn't have any effect on the market. But last week, boy, what a crazy boy. ride that was. Yeah. <laughs> Primarily in the stock market, but, you know, just like I was saying, to the extent that investors were selling stocks, they were uh, increasing the demand for mortgage-backed securities and, and other bonds. And mortgage-backed securities, uh, uh, as the stock, stock market fell, mortgage-backed security prices improved, so mortgage rates fell. Uh, last week, you might remember, Monday and Tuesday were uh, follow-up bad days in the stock market. We lost about 800 points on the Dow. And during that time, investors bought mortgage-backed securities, and MBS mm-hmm. prices improved. And uh, that was in spite of a Chinese rate cut, which you would expect to be, you know, stock market friendly. But uh, stocks sold off. Uh, but then that completely reversed itself the latter part of the week. In fact, stock market after Big falling time. 800 points the first two days, it it rebounded and wound up up almost 200 points on the week. Uh, so it's hard to know where the stock market's going, and uh, you know I think uh, to the extent that it's volatile, so will mortgage-backed securities be volatile. I suspect the, uh, they will. The, 
yeah, it's uh, it, it's something we can look forward to. I think for the next, uh, certainly through the September seventeenth Fed meeting, uh, you know, things like next uh, this week's jobs report, everything's going to be uh, enhanced in its importance as uh, uh, we look at it to see if the Fed's going to look at it in a in a way that causes them to begin to raise rates. But uh, last week, the data was pretty good. Uh, yes. Second quarter GDP was revised higher. You know, I know that's kind of old data, but 3.7% in the second quarter uh, is the current estimate of the growth rate. That's up from 23 is the first estimate. Durable orders came in well above forecast. New, and exi- new home sales and pending home sales were both pretty good. They were uh, better than last month. They did fall a little short of expectations, but uh, still they were good, and consumer confidence was high. So. Uh, the U.S. economic data seems to be uh, holding in there very, pretty well. Very interesting. Uh, and then this, I was going to say, yeah, let's talk about this week because then I got some questions for yeah. you. This week we have uh, uh, tomorrow. Well, actually, late tonight, China China's going to release its uh, GDP, uh, not GDP, PMI. Uh, and we don't. I don't ordinarily talk about economic re- reports from overseas, but. Uh, Last time this came out, it was a good for the mortgage uh, mortgage rates. It was weaker than expected, and there's a lot of question about Chinese data. But uh, we'll see if it shows even more weakness than what it, what they showed last month. Uh, the ISM Manufacturing Index comes out on Tuesday as well. Uh, well, Tuesday ISM yep. Services comes out on Thursday. Thursday. Uh, the ECB has a meeting on Thursday, and and that too has, you know, a little significance to it in that there are people calling for the ECB to uh, do something more to stimulate the uh, European economy. So we'll see if something comes out of there about more quantitative easing or some some way that they plan to stimulate the economy. And then of course the jobs report on Friday, uh, two hundred fifteen thousand jobs expected and. You know, the importance of this jobs report is heightened by the fact it's the last one before the uh, Fed meeting in September. On the 17th. Yeah. Uh, right. They have uh, they have talked about, uh, Fisher talked about the importance of this job jobs report. So uh, if it comes in much stronger than expected, uh, it could be a real uh, negative for the market. But um, quite the other way is true as well. It's it's really interesting. I was listening to a bunch of podcasts over the weekend, and China's now launched out and doing their own quantitative easing. Europe, the ECB is now under pressure to do that. Uh, I am hearing some really good top top economists and uh, people in the know that on these podcasts that some of these top highly recognized guests, some of which came out of the uh, the meetings there in Jackson Hole with the uh, summit that was. Um, you know, there with all the uh, central bankers that were gathered together from around the world, at least a good number of them. Janet Yellen wasn't there. That was interesting. But the number yeah. of them that were there were all t- saying that you know they they really don't see any reason not to stimulate. And so the fact that we have a rate drop, a monetary policy drop, and a quantitative easing starting in China, I'm hearing that we're going to see a token drop or a token rate rise in maybe September, but certainly the fourth quarter sometime and uh, later. And then we're going to see uh, them introducing quantitative easing QE4 in 2016. And that's going to stimulate things, but create another crazy amount of craziness. So um, very interesting stuff that I'm listening to on this. I've become addicted to it, and I've also become addicted to your website. <laughs> it is You've got the best stuff up here, and you really get to the point on it, and I really compliment you on the job you're doing. How you fit all the information well, on one you. website, I think you do an outstanding job. And uh, folks, check it out. If you want to learn more about it, go listen to this ad in just a second. We've got Paul, Paul Malo on cue to be up, and then run over to Alice Alvey, and then we've got Sam Garcia. And a lot of good stuff on the broadcast. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this brief break. Looking for that competitive edge? MBS QuoteLine delivers live market coverage for originators. Get up-to-the-minute mortgage market news and analysis as events occur. Get MBS prices as trades happen. Straight to your computer, email, cell phone, or PDA. Know in advance when your investors will reprice. Make better lock float decisions and increase your income. Be the expert your clients expect. And know what's moving interest rates right now, tomorrow, and beyond. MBS QuoteLine, delivering live market coverage for originators. Learn more about MBS QuoteLine today at MBS. MBSQuoteLine.com MBSQuoteLine.com 
646-716-4972. The Lickin' on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin'. Good to have you back, everybody. We've got Paul Molo on the phone all the way out there in... Uh, the, in the D.C. area. Good to have you here with us, Paul. Looking at your website again. Good information here. Uh, let's run through the news items you're tracking. Happy Monday to you, Paul. <laughs> Are you there, Paul? Did I get your mic turned on? Yes, your mic is turned on. It should be working. So hopefully, I'm, hopefully you're joining us here. Well, well, well. How about that? The mic is said that says it's on here, but Paul, we are not hearing you. So I will run through some of this, and if it works and connects where you can connect in and join us, hopefully that'll work out. Um, I'm looking at their website, everybody. And Paul, interrupt anytime you can on get live in here. So um, checking the one other way. We have some some real interesting issues. This may be a good point to slip in. Uh, Blog Talk for sent out a big announcement. They're so sorry. Apologize. They're trying to get some new features implemented. They had test them, and then they hit all kinds of issues with them. So, uh, and Paul, if you want to redial back in, I'll turn on your microphone, and we can go on that basis uh, so we can connect you in. Looking forward to hearing your report. But I'm going to run through it real quickly. Again, check out the website, www.imfnews.com. Great amount of information here, everybody. There's some really exciting stuff as it relates to uh, – whoops, I turned on the wrong mic. That's where the problem is, Paul. That would help if I turn – on the right mic. Where did you go, Paul Malo? I am not there. You are. I'm seeing you show up a number. There you are. I found you, Paul. I think we got you. you hear me? There you go. Now we hear you. You know what? You it's so interesting. Right. I I I had you logged in, and then forget it. We don't need to hear get any rehearse all of the challenges of that sure. having with the blog talks. But you're here, so let's come here. It. Well, that's good. <laughs> good to good have to you. Know. <laughs> I'm, I'm well. glad to know you're above ground and you're and alive and with us. So looking at your website, GSE buyback activity slows again. Well, that's good news. A little reprieve here. Is it a reprieve well, or is this a sustained trend? No, this this really is a sustained trend. Um, and and listen, this is great news for the industry. It, it's probably obvious to a lot of people. You know, they they work through the worst of the legacy stuff. Uh, the GSEs reported 436 million in repurchases during 2Q. That's that's the lowest figure since the two began tracking and disclosing this stuff with the SEC back in 2012. Uh, you know, there's still some unresolved buybacks. It's it's not a huge number. The worst is over. That's the good news. And most of the buybacks that are coming down the pike now are tied to securitizations in 2013 and 14. Mm. Uh, but listen, let's face it. I mean, the, the story behind the story is that you know lenders are so careful these days about lending and, and making sure that you know uh, whoever they're making a loan to will never ever uh, default, never default, no matter what. So uh, I mean, that's the nature of the beast right now. I mean, there's all this talk about non-QM and this and that, and you know, there's not a lot of non-QM lending going on outside you know your your jumbos to people who've got fantastic. Uh, you know, bank reserve stock accounts and and, and FICO scores. Uh, you know, Dan Pearl. We mentioned Dan uh, from time to time. He's running Citadel. Yes. They're they're sort of doing non-prime, and uh, there's Angel Oak, uh, and there's a few others out there. It's it's you know there's, they're growing numbers, but they're still relatively small. I think Citadel hopes to be at a run rate of 40 million a, a month by the fall. I mean that you know that comes out to yeah. you know almost 400. 450, 80 million a year, and you know that those are growing numbers. But this is mm-hmm. not, you know, this is not your your subprime of don't even count last decade, the, the decade before when subprime was sort of normal in a way. So that's that's that story. Uh, the other big story that broke this morning: Jim Cutello of uh, Stonegate Mortgage resigned. Yeah. Now, anyone who has been following that story, and I, and I track a lot of the publicly traded mortgage stocks. Uh, you know that that thing got smacked around last week. It already was getting smacked around. It's you know 52 week high is 16. Its low is about six. Uh, you know it's the book value of the stock according to FBR is 10 bucks a share, but it's trading at I think it was just just at seven this morning. You know investors aren't happy. I think the shorts are all over the stock. Uh, so they replaced him um, with uh, Richard Kramer, who's a, I guess chairman now of the company, and he's been around the industry for a while. He was, he's, uh, I think, also an FBR director and in Saxon Capital. He was the head guy there for a while. So, you know, and and then FBR also put out a note saying, you know, what's the solution here? Maybe a sale's possible, or maybe that's one way to get out of the stock. 
Uh, interesting story. We'll keep tracking that one. Uh, CFPB, uh, there was a study put out, I think it was by, yeah, DBRS, and, you know, they basically acknowledged that, you know, lenders have less anxiety thanks to the uh, ATR rule, but lo and behold, as we were talking about earlier, there's not a whole lot of non-QMs being made out there. Uh, so we threw that out there as well. Just uh, It's a, a good summer story. Uh, mortgage gain on sale, profit margins are, are falling. Um, that comes from Compass Point as well. They have a new report out on the industry, so we threw that out there. Uh, Jumbo MBS servicing is concentrated. Um, Wells Fargo put out something we wrote about in one of our newsletters. This is sort of the short uh, short version uh, you know, one thing I, I knew, but I, we never pay that close attention to the details, but Senlar is one of the largest servicers of Jumbo MBS, uh, and I think they have a market share of just over 38%. Senlar is a very interesting shop. I mean, they, there's a savings and loan charter. They're not a traditional thrift. I don't even think they have one traditional branch. They have a thrift charter, and, and they're one of the largest nation subservicers or um, or second largest. It's between them and Dove and Mule. Uh, oddly enough, they don't disclose their numbers anymore. They used to give them to us when I was at that other publication. Uh, they don't disclose anything about their subservicing volumes, but they're well over $200 billion, as is Dove and Mule, both both privately held companies that you know dominate the subservicing arena. Yeah. Uh, we have uh, short takes as well. I won't go into uh, a long, detailed read and read, but probably the most interesting thing might be what Donald Trump may or may not do. Uh, if he's going to put out a proposal on on the you know redoing the tax code, is he going to you know uh, pitch doing away with the mortgage interest deduction? I think they're expecting something out of him in the next couple of weeks, a more detailed tax plan. Um, so that's uh, all the essentials for Monday morning. Lots of good stuff in here. Trump, I tell you, there's there's so many stories around Trump. It is the, probably <laughs> one of the most interesting. Some would say entertaining, you know, uh, you know, elections uh, early on, and because of Trump in there, and, and it's just really interesting. And then looking at Bernie Sanders, he's coming up, and within was it seven points of um, of Hillary, and then so now we got Biden looking coming back. This is going to be a fascinating year. This is just, I mean, you're so close to it inside the Beltway. Not, not you're just outside the Beltway, aren't you? Are you? You are yeah, right outside, but yeah, listen, yes. this is a company town, and the company is politics. So. Um, yes. You know, listen, we watch this stuff, but it's way too early. I mean, it will get interesting for the mortgage and real estate industries and yes. home builders when, when you when you whittle down it to, you know, a core bunch of candidates and they need to start putting out real position papers on where they stand on a lot of these issues instead of just, you know, blowing hot air on, on TV and the debates and blah, blah, blah. That, blah, blah, that's blah. the thing you really want to see is the position papers and where they stand yep. on a lot of these issues. So you got something in print and it's not just a bunch of hot air. Uh, so that's when things will get more interesting. It is going to get very interesting, and we're glad you're covering it. And you're all over it. You do a great job, Paul. Appreciate you dialing in and be a part of the broadcast each and every uh, each and every Monday. As at least if you're in town, yeah. you're on the phone with us. We're really grateful for it. Many people. Thanks By the way, me. you may want to listen. We've got a hot topic segment, uh, Paul. We're going to be talking about the new credit risk transfer security. We've got Eileen O'Grady with us. That's going to be a real interesting discussion. New topic, new security out there. How's it priced? How's it structured? What's, we're going to get into all of that. So if you can stay tuned, jump in. I'd love to have you get your comments in there if we have time. But anyway, it's good to have you with us. Check it sure. out at www.imfnews.com. Dot com IMF News Inside Mortgage Finance is the initials for initials of news dot com. Check it out. Great stuff. Appreciate you dialing and being with us, Paul. Thank you very much. You bet. Folks, we are gonna next run over to Alice Alvey. And Alice, it's so good to have you here be with us each and every week and uh, share all the insights of what's going on. Uh, so what you got for us today? Well, Dave, uh, hi, everybody. Um, I'm very excited for our guest today because uh, I think we're going to learn a lot on the secondary market side, so I'm anxious to hear that part. But I also wanted to let everybody know, um, you know, we've watched several bills over the last year or two uh, trying to make changes to the CFPB structure, right? We all know that there's a problem with the fact that the CFPB runs on its own. It doesn't really have a proper reporting structure. It isn't even accountable to budget. 
So um, I was fortunate. Friday we had a CMB breakfast, uh, and David Trot attended. He's our Republican congressman for the 11th yeah. district here in Michigan. Uh, great guy with lots of mortgage background. So we uh, picked his brain a little bit on some of these bills that we've been watching that have been rela- related to the mortgage industry. So, you know, like we all suspected, we don't envision that there's going to be any activity in any of this, even if we do get something passed by the House. It's not going to go anywhere from the Senate um, or from the president. So maybe that's something to make sure we put on their list for all those presidential candidates is that somebody has on their list to pay attention to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, right, that something needs to be done to get them solved uh, for uh, the future. Um, right. He also brought up a couple of quick points I thought was interesting about, you know, we said, well, what are the things you learned as a freshman congressman and what should we all be watching for? What is, What makes a good congressman, right? What are the things we should be looking for? And he said he brought up, they brought up a couple things. Set up an office in the district with a really good team. So that's something you all should be watching for. Does your congressman have a local office? Vote the way you said during your campaign. What a concept. So just playing off of Paul's point there, you know, know what they stand for. And he said there's six ways you can vote for your country, for your state, for your district, for your party, for your personal beliefs, or to get reelected. Right? So which one? <laughs> yeah, which one do you think they mostly go for? <laughs> right. I thought, well, you know, which one do they, you think they're going for? And then solve problems. So it was interesting to listen to him actually, you know, local constituents calling up, I've got this particular problem, and him reaching out and solving them. So uh, my hat's off to Dave Try. He's doing a great job. And, uh, we're great happy guy. Have Good him. guy. Mm-hmm. So uh, anyway, that was fun. So uh, the heads up from a, a compliance standpoint, compliance legislative, obviously Congress is out. They're all back home uh, talking to people, and they won't be back until the 8th after Labor Day. So I thought I'd make sure everybody has their heads up for FHA changes. Uh, we've got everybody trying to combine their credit overlays with the FHA changes that go into effect now in just two short weeks. Originators, if you haven't talked about this with your company or isn't it isn't scheduled for a webinar this week, we have a free webinar coming up this week. We, um, it's actually, I think, almost sold out. So we may give us a call. We're trying to arrange if we need to have a second one or give us a call. We can help out your company directly with your overlays. But it is really a game changer for how you take an FHA application. You know, there's upwards of over 50, close to 60 changes that you have wow. to know. That, and my line is this. If you're an old-timer in FHA, you should be really, really nervous because the old-timers are the ones that make assumptions, right? You knew the 4155 inside and out, and now yes. you can't. It's, you can't. You're, you're, you can't go from memory anymore. You've got to go learn this stuff from scratch. It's uh, a lot of new moving parts, so that's my heads up for that. Uh, from a trade readiness standpoint, we see a lot of companies kind of getting over that first hurdle for some test cases, but still, I don't know, there's a lot of confidence out there that they feel that they could really pull this off. It's, I'm feeling like I might get there, but I, we're still working with a lot of large companies, a lot of mid-sized and smaller players. Uh, surprisingly, some of them have only just started their training this week. So uh, we'll see what can happen in the next. Now we're in the final 30-day countdown uh, for trade implementation, Man. and it's looking pretty uh, concerning. Fascinating. I like what Eileen wrote in, in, in what we put in the note update. We've all been trid hypnotized. I love yes. our guest <laughs> characterization of that. That is so true. We've missed some things going on, but man, it's a big, big deal. And it is, we've been trid hypnotized. That's a new one I love. Yeah. That little Well, the FHA has tried to throw that trance off, you know. So now, I mean, you talk about overwhelming in operations right now with trying to implement both the FHA and the trid changes. And, uh, so it's amazing. We can if you're closing loans, you're doing great. <laughs> amazing stuff going on out there. There's so much to talk about. I can't wait to get you in on with on the uh, the discussion with Eileen O'Grady about the capital market structure finance update and uh, all that's going on. Alice, thank you so much. I saw Linda Bomar's uh, notification and across it this morning it said sold out. So you folks, if you want to get in yeah. on this, you got to you got to get get on it now. Want to learn more about Indicom? Stay tuned. We'll be right back with Sam Garcia right after this break. If you have questions about mortgage regulations, Indicom Mortgage U has three answers. If you need ideas about how to reinvent your organization, Indicom Mortgage U will share great ideas. When you need help at any step of the loan process, give us a call or send an email. The Indicom team of experts have been helping mortgage players from origination through servicing for over 30 years. Your success is our focus. Whether it's a quick question or long-term support, portfolio, conventional or government lending, it's a competitive market. 
So let Indicom Mortgage You give you the edge. Oh, yes, everybody. It'll give you the edge. And uh, so don't get pushed over the edge. Get on top of it. I love that. I could come up with all kinds of sound bites. By the way, that is the voice of uh, Andy Alvey in the background, uh, Alice's son. He does such a great job in all our ads. What a great guy. Sam Garcia, good to have you here with us. Lots of good stuff going on. Run through it real quickly. What do you have for us, my friend? Hey, uh, can you hear me? Hi, can I hear you? Can you yeah, can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Okay, okay, <laughs> yes, great, great. We hear you live. I'm sitting here in beautiful I escaped the heat, came down to beautiful San Diego, and I gotta tell you, I'm looking out over this harbor. <laughs> it's a gorgeous view from my hotel room here. But I'll I'll shut up about that. All right, what you got, man? Well, uh, our mortgage market index soared twenty eight percent last week and uh, that index that. which we, we base off of per user price locks by clients of open close, it was uh you know the the jumbo sector was actually the best. It, jumbo business last week skyrocketed 72% from a week earlier. So it was interesting to see that big of a jump, uh, both overall and with the jumbo mortgages. Um, the Mortgage Bankers Association released its quarterly mortgage bankers performance report for the second quarter, um, and and that report, if anybody. Uh, gets a chance to buy that. It's just rich with data about average income um, at independent mortgage bankers and a whole bunch of other operational metrics. Um, one of those metrics is the average monthly closings per production employee, and that climbed to 2.7 loans in the second quarter from 2.3 uh, the, uh, three months earlier. So we had some improvement in efficiency there. Um, also, we saw that a second quarter net production income worked out to 66 basis points. So that was up from 60 basis points earned in the first quarter, and a year ago it was only 46 basis points. So saw some nice improvement uh, in the second quarter here. Let's, you know, let's hope we can keep up some of that, even though volume's likely to drop off. Um, data from the Federal Housing Finance Agency indicated that nearly 200,000 Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac loans were refinanced during June, and that was 3% more than May. But what was interesting was that HARP activity dropped 10% during that same time and was down by nearly half from a year earlier, uh, obviously a sign of a recovering housing market and less need to look to HARP for some of these houses that used to be underwater and a lot of them aren't anymore. So, um, Moving on to uh, Freddie Mac, they, Freddie Mac reported that its purchases and issuances uh, slipped 1% between June and July. Though that was still a pretty good month, but yeah, what was more month. significant? What was more significant was that 90-day residential delinquency fell to 1.48. Uh, hasn't been that low since October 2008, basically a month after they were taken into conservatorship. Wow. Um, the CFPB reported nearly 4,500 complaints were lodged against mortgage firms during July, and that was 4% fewer than were uh, lodged a month earlier. So we're seeing some improvement there. Um, we, that's, that's a, a lot of a, complaints, though. My gosh. That's a lot of complaints, but then when you look at how many loans we're doing, you know. And yeah, that's true. Yeah, maybe. Not quite so Maybe bad, it's an overall but, uh, percentage. That, yeah, maybe, maybe not a big issue. Uh, the companies that had the, the most complaints um, were also the biggest originators and servicers, so nobody really stood out as you know having uh, too big of a share from what we could see here. Um, last week, FHA uh, or HUD said it was, uh, FHA is going to start uh, issuing guidelines to allow PACE loans, the energy loans, uh, right. uh, to be on properties that uh, HUD finances. Uh, obviously, they're going to have some significant restrictions, but you know what's interesting there is that uh, FHFA, the regulator of Fannie and Freddie, previously prohibited such loans. Uh, you know, they, they weren't allowing uh, GSE loans to be made on homes with uh, PACE loans just because of the title issue and losing priority. So uh, it's interesting that uh, FHA is willing to go that route. Uh, finally, uh, I wanted just to mention um, on that uh, Stonegate deal that. Jim Coutillo founded that company 10 years ago, uh, saw it through an IPO, and uh, through our mortgage origination survey, they rated uh, among the 20 biggest mortgage lenders in the company's country. So uh, yeah, it's a pretty significant move. Uh, one of the biggest lenders has that kind of a change at the top. And yeah, it is significant. That's it. 
Yeah, it's interesting yeah. stuff going on over there. Good stuff. You got a great website. I think you got some wonderful news and some even better. Well, it's all the news is good and the data is awesome. You have some great data on there. I love going to your site and uh, dialing into and checking it out. Check it out, everybody. MortgageDaily.com. You can get a hold of Sam Garcia by dialing him at 214 521 1300 or email him at Sam Garcia at MortgageDaily.com. Good to have you with us, my friend. Appreciate you so much. And uh, look for, I look forward to having you back next week. Great content. Good job. Thank you, sir. We normally would be running out to having a report from our from the prophet doctor, and uh, and we, he's just yeah. You know, I talked to him just before the broadcast. He was planning on being here. He went out, and got antibiotics. He was hoping to be there, but he's got some congestion. And he said every time he started talking, he just starts hacking. And so <clears throat> that is not good. And I was talking to him. I started hacking listening to it. So I'm glad. I miss having the, the private doctor on here, but it's, I, don't need the, I don't need the subliminal uh, catching it. Even though I'm off here in San Diego and he's back in Texas, I do not need to get any of that. So it's, uh, we're going to miss him. Wish him a happy, uh, a happy uh, recovery here as he deals with it. At least he's in a warm country. Go sit outside, Andy, and, and pull in some of that good warm Texas air and get healed up. We'll miss having you on. We have, as our special guest, Eileen O'Grady. I am so excited to have Eileen on here. As I said at the top of the broadcast, Eileen was there during my career adolescence, those earliest days where you're just making a complete idiot out of yourself at different times. <laughs> and I always just loved how mature she was and how kind she was. She is just such a great person and has become, and well, has been a great, great friend from the earliest days. And, um, uh, all I can say is I hope she's lost the photos and her memory cells have dropped all the bad memories because we've <laughs> stayed friends and she is such a special person. But more importantly, she has been just really at the crux of everything innovative going on when it comes to capital markets. There's one person that I call when it comes to really some of the developments that are going on in the capital markets, and that's Eileen O'Grady. She is just on top of what is happening, and so we have named her officially – she is now our um, capital markets. Uh, what, what, I'm looking for my notes here. I'm scrambling around because I got something open up on top of it. But anyway, she is going to be our official capital markets and structured finance news industry news correspondent. Eileen O'Grady, good to have you with us again, my dear friend. Mr. I appreciate Lincoln. you so much. My pleasure. My pleasure, it's- David. It is always a pleasure, and it's been such a good journey to know you throughout. You know, one of the things, I love the mortgage industry because of the people you meet in this uh, in this industry, and I, I just hold you as one of those really, really special people and so honored to have you as a former associate, a dear, dear friend throughout all of this, and uh, and hope to maintain this for a long, long time. We both are of the opinion that we should stay going. Jack Guttentag, I use him as my example, starting at 92, another company. I love that guy. So keep <laughs> on going. Keeps the mind sharp. Keeps the, yeah. healthy, the body healthy. Eileen, you know, it you does, are now it our – It does. It, well, it does. And, and I'm so excited to get mm-hmm. into these questions. So I'm rushing here to get into the questions yeah, that we want go. to talk about. Because there's something – the, the original topic, Eileen, we had talk, want to talk about was the origination and sale of non-agency loans. But as we talked, this whole topic kind of morphed into something – much more exciting, some recent developments in the mortgage capital markets and structured finance area, and we really want to get into that. And these, what you're saying, these are big developments that have been going below the radar because, I love this expression, we've been trid-hypnotized. That was a great soundbite. <laughs> so good to have you with us. Let's, let's talk, first of all, give us a good bit of an update, and let's discuss non-agency loans. What is going on there? Not much. Um, in fact, <laughs> I think yeah, I think Paul Paul kind of covered it to some extent. I mean, I can certainly give you the numbers. Uh, before I do that, you know, the Structured Finance Industry Group, uh, which is essentially the uh, the investment banks and, and large banks who want to uh, begin to issue private label securities, uh, they formed the Structured Finance Industry Group some some years ago co-founded by a close associate of mine, Andrew Davidson, and, yeah, Andrew. Uh, and others. Definitely. Yeah, sure, sure. Sharp guy. And uh, they, they started a, uh, a work group known as Restart or RMBS 3.0, and they really wanted to see private label uh, issuance equal what it did back in the day, David, when you and I were selling jumbo loans. You know, as you remember, yeah. uh, you know, I did a fair amount of structured finance work at City and Bear and uh, Sears Mortgage Securities Corp. And we were issuing $250 million deals almost every other week. 
Well, in contrast to that, what we have is around 2010, we started to see a trickle. We had $5 billion of non-agency product as opposed to $1.3 trillion of agency product. And then, you know, agency product, of course, stayed pretty close to north of a trillion. In fact, 2012 agency product was $1.7 trillion worth of business. Wow. And in contrast to that, there was only about $11 billion done in private label product in, in, in 12. And then uh, 2013, about $34 billion in private label, and then $52 billion in 2014. I don't think the 2015 numbers are going to hit projection, which is at about $45 billion. And Basically, you know, um, it's it's just not a lot of uh, activity relative number one why? to how it used to be. Why yeah, is that? Yeah, why 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 is there so little activity in the non-agency well, securities? Well, you know, this is where, as you said, David, you know, there's just some some things that, that are happening that are pretty exciting to watch once you realize they're there. One is that there is essentially a fundamental lack of demand on the production side. The consumers are not necessarily interested in high-rate mortgages anymore, and when you do the math, it's very hard to issue private label securities without the government guarantee that will attract investors. So you literally pull those two pieces of rope together to tie a knot. There's just not enough spread in it. So on the one hand, you have lack of uh, demand on the retail and production side. On the other side, and this, I think, David, is one of those forward topics we might want to cover in more depth, Portfolio lending is increasing, interestingly enough, mm, interesting. um, on the institutional side. And then uh, the third, uh, the third uh, leg to the stool of why it's not taking off is essentially um, regulations in the capital markets, uh, combined with still a lot of lawsuits outstanding since the crisis. So even the RMBS group at SFIG uh, admitted in a, in a conference session that you know we're all in here trying to think about how to restart private label where where our attorneys are literally and they were literally in the next room discussing all the outstanding lawsuits among all these different counterparties so it's wow. hard to continue to do good business it's hard to get when yeah, when you're still yeah, dealing with like the hangover you, from, the previous, from the previous cycle right. yeah it's, it's, it's right. a little difficult and i think there i I think there's a, a website out there that's kind of like Implodometer from the subprime days that's tracking the dollar amounts of lawsuits outstanding, and it's 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 just staggering. So it, those, have all, uh, those have all definitely put a damper on it, including one of the most significant regulations, which, again, ties to this new world that we're starting to see in, in mortgage securities. SEC issued a regulation called AB2, which requires that, that issuers of securities begin to provide loan-level detail, granular loan wow. characteristic-level details over the life of the loan. So Life of loan granular detail. Wow. Exactly, exactly. So, so those are all the dampers on, uh, on uh, private label business to date. Yeah, yeah that's Eileen. a damper. Well, let's, let's get Allison on this discussion. Alice, I want you to get in with a couple questions here. Well, yeah. Welcome to the pro. Welcome to the program. We're happy to have you here, Eileen. Yeah, thanks, um, Allison. We we just um, you know it's interesting. I was just reading the uh, FIFA's report on the credit risk transfer security. So, what is it? How would you describe it to somebody who's brand new? I feel like you know, like you said earlier, this hasn't gotten a lot of um, press, but it's something definitely we should be watching. So, what is the new security that's playing such a major role in the industry? Sure, sure. Uh, well, basically, what Fannie and Freddie, under the auspices of the FHFA, Federal Housing Finance Association, who was essentially their conservator, mm-hmm. um, was looking for uh, various ways to um, relieve pressure um, on the uh, Fannie and Freddie portfolios in response to, frankly, uh, bilateral, you know, both sides of the aisle, uh, uh, congressional and senatorial direction when it came to what, what Fannie and Freddie are. So, so interestingly enough, Andy Davidson had been tinkering with a design of what was known as a, what he, what was then called when it was uh, first issued credit risk transfer security. Um, it's basically uh, think of it as a balloon as, as uh, Fannie and Freddie and their sub, uh, respective portfolios accumulate risk as they buy loans. So the risk pressure increases uh, as more loans are brought to the portfolio. These credit risk transfer securities basically reduce, like letting air out of the balloon, they, they reduce the risk exposure of the Fannie and Freddie portfolios. 
Fascinating. This is that it's yeah. Go ahead, Joe. I've got a million questions. I want to jump in well, as we hear this. Go ahead. I, well, I was just going to say. So, so why it, why is it being why is this being uh, developed? I mean, Fannie and Freddie mm-hmm. have have held mm-hmm. these these risks before. Sure. Well, and we all know that the the major means by which Fannie and Freddie protect themselves against uh, uh, losses in loans or, or poor performance in their loans has been the guarantor fees uh, that are essentially taken out of the rate spread. However, FHFA said that's not good enough, it's not fast enough, it's not handling enough of the types of risks that exist within your portfolio. So what else you got, basically? And uh, interestingly enough, Andy had been tinkering with this uh, design on behalf, frankly, of uh, portfolio lenders. Uh, but as now, part let, let, of we, have, we have Andy Elvey on the broadcast for a lot of our listeners. So this is the Andy that you worked with. His name again is, let's cover that. Oh, Andrew Davidson. Andrew yeah. Davidson. Andy Davidson. Andy Davidson, yeah. yeah. And uh, Andy, Andy Davidson was called in by the FHFA and uh, asked to see, you know, they wanted to see his structure. And as they looked at it, they realized this was something they could use to, as I was saying before, sort of reduce the risk exposure. Think of the balloon starting to get near bursting. Uh, reduce the risk exposure of uh, of the loans in their portfolio. Okay. Well, and by how, the way, over the, and, and by the way, interestingly enough, over the life of a loan, very important concept yeah. here. Um, think of it this way, David. You know, when you and I were kids making loans to people, the the fellows and women that we made those loans to, they had a, a job, they had an income, they had a family, or or you know, or were going to, or were not going to, and they they were a certain person on the day the loan was made. But five years later, they were a different person with different risk characteristics. So yeah. it has been very important, uh, and FHFA clearly caught on to this concept, very important to try to track the loan characteristics of the loan over its life. And so as they looked at that, they said, gee, we're going to have ballooning risk that's beyond our control to, at the underwriting table to manage we need a tr- we need some kind of a security that will help us manage that, and that is really the essential reason why the credit risk transfer securities came to be. Hmm. Well, how was it developed, and how's it being used right now, Eileen? Well, right now, um, it's it's basically being issued just from Fannie and Freddie, as I mentioned. Andy Davidson was the thing. Um and they've uh, they've issued a certain dollar amount, and, and, and I'm going to look in my notes in a minute and kind of give you some, some of those dollar amounts. But uh, remember, the FHFA is under a lot of pressure to hit certain scorecard levels of the performance, uh, financial performance of Fannie and Freddie, as they continue to write their checks back to us uh, and to the Treasury and taxpayers. So. Um, it was uh, it was something that had to be done uh, almost at a legislative level or a regulatory level, if you will, um, to uh, augment, as I said, the, the guarantor fees. Mortgage insurance, obviously, primary mortgage insurance has been a traditional tool that has been used to, you know, uh, offlay risk to private parties as opposed to us taxpayers. Now that technically we own Fannie and Freddie, um, and others, of course. Pool insurance written by the same private mortgage insurance companies has been yet another. Uh, but, again, all we ever have when we originate a loan is what we know about the people when we make the loan. And, uh, in fact, one of the uh, sovereign investors that uh, Andy Davidson had interviewed uh, when he was talking to them about, uh, you know, gee, when are you coming back to the table to buy some U.S. mortgages, they said, you know, we're, we're a little uncomfortable owning the the life events of a borrower over the course of 30 years, and that was something of the of the uh, yeah isn't that interesting? And that was Very something of the inspiration for for this security. Alice, back to you. Okay, great. So, how are Fannie and Freddie CRTs different then from you know other um, other securities that might be similar in terms of carrying more risk? Well, well. Uh, I think the major difference is the um, is the life of loan aspect of of the uh, of the security. The fact that it will be managing uh, the uh, the portfolio of the, both portfolios of Fannie's and Freddie's 
um, over the entirety of, of the portfolio. So as certain events occur, the pressure, the risk pressure on the Fannie and Freddie portfolio will increase and decrease. As it increases, the credit risk transfer security becomes a very uh, powerful means to manage that risk. You know, it, it, it really all started with um, the concept of credit risk models. When people um, started to look at their own models, other than Fannie's and Freddie's, which, you know, basically lie within DU and LP, uh, they decided, you know, gee, how many, how many characteristics of a loan do I want to look at? Over what period of time do I want to look at it? And uh, how do I want to break out the risks of loans? And as, as the FHFA has discerned, they're really – two basic types of risks in every single mortgage loan, in every pool, in every portfolio of mortgages. Interest rate risk, which today is basically managed through the sale of an MBS out of Fannie and Freddie, and credit risk. And until the crisis, Fannie and Freddie's means of managing credit risk was, was essentially inadequate. In fact, that's why they struggled as much as they did and, and came under FHFA conservatorship. So the whole point of the credit risk transfer security is to manage basically three types of credit risk that exist in every loan pool and portfolio. You have expected losses or expected risks uh, that have to do with, yes, this is a doctor that we just made a loan to. Our risks are relatively low. He or she is employable and stable as a borrower versus someone who's working three part-time jobs to, to, to hang in there. Um, the other would be unexpected, uh, which would be something like an illness or some un, you know, unanticipated event that would hurt the doctor's ability to make his mortgage payments or her, her mortgage payments. And the third is catastrophic, when the, you know, the big comet hits the earth or you know, we get invaded or by you know, aliens <laughs> or something, you know, something that is just so catastrophic, we're all in the same boat. So every credit risk model has to break those down and again the the more granular the credit risk model the better the output and so again um andy's idea the andy davidson's ideas to the fhfa really came from the fact that adco his company andrew davidson and company had been building credit risk models for years and really knew what what it needed to look like under the hood so as fannie and freddie run the um, portfolios through their credit risk models Others run those same loans through their credit risk models, including Andy, and out pops this analysis by Andy that look at all this credit risk, these strips of credit risk that you folks need to manage better in order to reduce your exposure to risk as you're required to do by the FHFA. So we're in all of that, Eileen, if I recall, though, in looking at the report, in, in that expected, the unexpected, and the catastrophic, at some point mm -hmm. there must be economics factored into that. So I'm assuming that's in a couple of those buckets. There's a certain amount of economic impact that they Absolutely. planned for within that that would be in the model. And then uh, things that you can totally not predict would be catastrophic. So how are those, how are they, how do they use those risk models then? Um, you know, can you give us a little insight in that? I'm looking at some of the diagrams too that were in the picture. It looks like they've got, a, you know, three tranches. So, so tell us a little bit about yeah, how, well, the, how there are the risk, the risk models work. Sure. Yeah. The risk models are, are basically a, a separate concept from the structure of the security but they're related. Obviously, they're the tool that's used to to really understand the collateral that, that will back the bond. Um, the uh, as, I, as I was mentioning before, the you know all credit risk models basically work the same. What happens is as you run you know thousands of loans, millions of loans through different credit risk models, uh, it has different it, re it recognizes different sensitivities or develops different sensitivities. Uh, so, you know, you'll find some differences between Fannie's and Freddie's credit risk models, even though they both basically do the same thing, because the weighted average FICO scores in Freddie's is off by, you know, two basis points relative to Fannie's or something, you know. Uh, the LTVs are different. Um, there, there could be a number of different factors which will cause credit risk models to, to differ. And that is one of the challenges that credit risk transfer securities will have, which, which we can talk about. Uh, wherein if you have a credit risk model that you're using and you're running loans against uh, the security, you may find your risk parameters to be different. And that's perfectly understandable uh, because some investors are just that much more 
conservative or their experience in mortgages has been so bad they've become <laughs> conservative. Others would uh, maybe have a little more risk appetite simply because they've done very well in the loans that they've acquired and analyzed with their credit risk model. Now, there's so much to cover here, and I'm looking at the clock, and I want to cover a few really important parts of this for those that want to understand some aspects of this. Uh, Eileen, uh, if the profit doctor were on here, he'd want to know about the structure. So, you know, give us a little insights. How are yeah. credit risk transfers structured? Well, they, they, they look a and, little bit like And also throw in the, that in your answer how they're priced, if you could cover that as well. Sure, sure, sure. Um, they basically have four tranches. Uh, three of them are, are representing sort of a range of the concentration of risk. You know, it's, it's like anything else. If you boil down a loan portfolio to its essential risks, you'll find some percentage, which is just, you know, it's just the hardcore plutonium of, of credit risk. Um, because you're always making loans on a broad geographic. I love that, the plutonium of credit geographic. risk. That's good. That's, that's a good yeah, sound. Yeah, I like you that. Know, you're buying loans from all over the country, and, again, over their life, their credit performance is going to change. Therefore, each year, each period, there'll be different, you know, concentrations of risk. So the four tranches are set up uh, with the first largest uh, tranche being retained uh, by the agencies, and they do experience basically the first loss. The other three tranches. That's like the A tranche, you might say. Yep, yep. And, uh, and then the other three tranches uh, really represent a range of, uh, of, of strips of that that plutonium risk that remains between zero and three percent of a total portfolio ends up being uh, identified as as, as risky. Um, right now, if you're buying the most aggressive tranche, you're actually seeing a pretty attractive um, yield. Uh, they're, they're based off a of LIBOR, priced off a of LIBOR. Uh, when they first came out, um, which was in 2013, when we saw real numbers. Uh, they were looking at a 750 spread over LIBOR. Um, but uh, interestingly enough, they became popular enough uh, among the targeted investors, which are hedge funds, sovereign funds, asset managers, uh, uh, insurance companies, reinsurance companies, that it was oversubscribed. Pretty much every issue that came out was wow. oversubscribed. So, so the spreads narrowed down to about 595 uh, for the for that plutonium tranche or those plutonium tranches, but the, uh, you know, the mezzanine tranche uh, looks like a LIBOR plus 160. Some of that has to do with the fact that the first issues had a lot of some of the subprime stuff in there, so there's a little bit more of that plutonium uh, than we might see, say, in the, in the uh, CRTs that get issued next year, uh, because obviously we're going to see some better underwriting. So total, total outstanding right now is about 600 uh, Billion in the in the uh, in the issuances, as I said, divided among those uh, types of investors, uh, with asset managers comprising probably the biggest percentage. So about 14 deals, you know, give or take, have been done since 2013. Joe's a secondary guy, so he's always tracking you know, who's buying and selling these. Joe. Well, she's kind of giving us who the buyers are. Uh, um, I was wondering how all this affects guarantee fee. Yes, and that's where I was going to go next. Is, there, is yeah. there a way to anticipate that because of the success of these transactions, the guarantee fees may be reduced? You know, no one's going public on that. Um, and, again, one of the ironies uh, you know, in terms of where we started out the conversation, uh, the reason why portfolio lending among the big banks has increased is because of how high GFEs have gotten and how they've recognized they're, they're better off holding loans in their portfolios and managing the duration uh, and interest mm -hmm. rate risk and capital allocation risk than giving up that spread. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, but, yeah, I think there is, there is a possibility, and this is just Eileen O'Grady speaking. I, I haven't seen anything, and I'm not privy to any discussions about it, but I think it makes absolute sense that, especially given what the FHA conservatorship charter is about, uh, of course, we'll see the, the reduction in, or could see the reduction in guarantor fees because then again, the, the taxpayer is protected and the private investors who really want to own that risk and know how to manage it better uh, than we taxpayers. Yeah, let, let them have it, right? Eileen, right. uh, how does, how does uh, somebody manage that risk better? I, I, I can see somebody analyzing and expecting uh, mm -hmm. They calculate at risk, but they have no way to control the servicer or the servicer's obligations to manage that risk. 
Sure. Great and, question. And, and that's where, yeah, that's where, uh, and I think that's part of the reason why when David and I spoke about this, it, it seemed to make sense. I think there is a big disconnect between what I call, what we call the lending industry and the capital markets industry. And I know SVIG, I know MBA, and uh, I know uh, ADCO and others like that really want to see the two industries talk a lot more. Um, in fact, I'm I'm on this liaison group between the MBA and FSIG in order to, to get these dialogues going. But they're going to be kicked a bit to do that, to, to align more and help each other understand the assets and manage them better by some of the regulations that are coming, including AB2. Had a lot of discussions with primary contract master servicers about what AB2 means for them in terms of rewriting their servicing uh, technologies. It's a, it's a big list. Uh, but again, it goes back to the sophistication of the investor, uh, the manner in which they will price their risk, and that, that speaks again to the sophistication of their credit risk model. And then it speaks to the ability of FHFA, Fannie, Freddie, um, and those investors who were the first purchasers of this security to foster uh, a, you know, kind of a secondary side to this. Because right now the only sellers are Fannie and Freddie, uh, yep. and, and we have you know X number of buyers, 142 so far, have invested in the CRT. Now, the next step, there are two next steps, actually. One is uh, to do what Andy Davidson had originally intended to do, which is to see if the CRT is a valuable tool for large, for any size portfolio lender who wants to keep loans on their books yet sell away this strip of credit risk. And the other is to see how well these um, – securities that are in the market today might retrade, and as they do that, how they're repriced. And that's, that's where it's exciting because, you know, as, they, as David said, we're so old in this business, he and I. You know, we, we, were, there when, we were there when MBS, you know, Fannie's, Fannie uh, MBS and Freddie PCs were created. So that's why I'm yeah, excited. And, and you were at the forefront of it. You were literally sitting there at Radio Mortgage. Fannie flew in to ask you, you yeah. know, how do we do this? How, do, how does this happen? You were at the forefront helping structure yeah. that. It's not surprising that you're here at the forefront working with Andy Davison on the structuring of CRT. So let's. I'm looking at the clock. We're out of time. But I want to ask this. Yeah. What is the CRT? influence and effect on lending moving forward is this a is this a going to be or when will it is it going to be a big game changer and if so when i think that, that when uh the crt reaches some level of of uh liquidity and when a few i'd say two to three major lenders be, and i know there's at least one so far use the crt as a portfolio credit risk management tool it will impact the pricing on mortgages in a uh, in a defined way. I won't say dramatic, but certainly a defined way. Of course, lenders will hold on to as, as much spread as they can for as long as they can, and everybody's <laughs> yeah. pricing to Fannie and Freddie. So for a yeah. while, those big lenders will have some nice windfall profits, and then eventually, <laughs> as this thing broadens, you'll you'll see prices. Uh, uh, go up and, and rates go down a, a skosh. That's exactly one of our one of our one of our listeners texted me just now said, "Does that mean it's going rates are going up or down as a result of this?" So the word is rates should be dropping as a result of this. So that's good. Absolutely. Any downside risk to uh, the uh, the credit risk transfers securities? Personal opinion is uh, you know there's a temptation to get a little subprimey. Again, um, yeah. if you can find a, a, oh. a willing buyer of, of frothy risk, uh, you might be tempted. Um, I have to say, please, you know, walk past that temptation. I think that yes. would be a horrible, horrible uh, reversion. Um, because, you know, the, the funny thing about all this, David, again, this relates to you and I as kids. You know, when you we can were kids, sell yeah. a loan. You can sell a loan. You can sell a strip. You can sell a CRT. You can sell an MBS. It doesn't mean you have a well-underwritten loan. Right. In fact, That's right. a lot of saleable loans are not well underwritten. Yep. But you can always sell a well underwritten loan because it's going to perform. Yes. So the FHFA recognizes that along with the guarantor fees, the MI, the pool insurance that's on there, uh, the CRTs now is another tool. None of it works well if the loan isn't well underwritten like it's being done today. We are out of time, so let's tell our listening audience how they can learn more about credit risk transfer securities. How can they learn more? Yeah, well, Fr Freddie issues what are called stackers, structured asset credit uh, uh, 
transactions. Uh, so I would just and, and Fannie Mae issues Connecticut Avenue securities. Uh, first, you know, start to Google, uh, but then I think uh, MBA secondary conferences and committees, ABA secondary conferences and committees. Check out the FHFA website and publications, and consider joining uh, FIG. Structured What's FIG stand for again? Several yeah. people think. What's FIG yeah. stand for? Structured Finance Industry Group. That's great stuff. Eileen, thank you music, so David. much for thank you so much for joining us today. And people can get a hold of us, and we'll uh, share on a meaningful basis. Uh, Eileen is very connected, so she's very cautious on who she's connecting with on LinkedIn. But her information is up there; you can go check it out. She's very careful about who she's connected with because so many people want to talk to her. So if you want to get a hold of me, I'll be happy to. We'll, I'll run the question through to Eileen. But Eileen has now officially become the Capital Market Structured Finance Industry News Correspondent for us. She'll be back on at least on a quarterly basis, possibly more with any – and anytime there's any news updates, Eileen will be bringing it to us through the Liquid on Lending radio program, podcast program here we've got going. So, listeners, thank you so much for being here with us. Eileen, thank you for joining us. Also, a special thank you goes out to Joe and Alice and wish Andy, the profit doctor, all the best. I'm looking at your rate screen right now, uh, Joe. We're uh, net neutral for the day, so let's see what happens. Lots of interesting stuff going on in the markets. Appreciate you, everybody, joining in on it with us. Thank you again to our special guest, Eileen O'Grady, and to Allison Joe for joining in. All the best, everyone. Have a great week. I'm going to be enjoying it here in beautiful San Diego, above the bay. Talk to you soon, everybody. Have a great week. See you back here next week. This has been Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lincoln of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Quoline, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Alvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week and thank you for listening. 